Hey guys, how's it going? Scott here and I'm back with another episode of the SBL podcast and this week we've got an awesome guest on, one of my favourite bass players in the world. We've got the awesome Steve Jenkins. Now I was actually lucky enough to hang out with Steve uh, at the beginning of 2017 because um, he was he was creating a course for Scott's Bass Lessons, um, which incidentally has just been released a week ago, I think. Uh, we, we, we recorded a ton of courses with some crazy... Crazy, uh, crazy ass bass players over uh, in New York in the beginning of 2017. But because we created so many, we've been releasing one per month over the last, I think it's seven or eight months now. And we will continue to release one a month for. Um, until the end of time. <laughs> no, but seriously, we get, we, that's what we do at Scott's Bass. We, we, uh, we release a brand new course into the membership each and every month because... Uh, because that's what we're doing. We're focused on, you know, bringing the best education, best base education, to uh, to the base community and making it most important, most importantly, accessible to everyone. Um, you know, beforehand, well, I don't know what options people had beforehand. You could, I suppose, you could go to a private tutor and study one to one, or you could enroll in music school. And drop 80 grand or whatever it is it, to- it costs to go to music school and that's as well only if your situation allows that you know a lot of people out there if you're anything like me you've got a family you've got kids and I really think in today's age just because you've got a family and kids doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to study with the best players in the world it doesn't mean that it, it, you shouldn't be able to get the answers for your questions and really you know to help you push your bass playing to the next level so that's what we do at Scott's Bass Lessons and that's what the membership is about it's creating that opportunity a completely new opportunity for bass players around the globe and one, one thing we talk about here SBL is the saying, we've got this saying that we use, and it's base education without boundaries. And that's really what we're in this for, to create that um, that completely new opportunity for bass players around the globe, to study with the best guys in the world, wherever you are, and whatever budget you're on. You know, I think our membership equates to about sort of like $20 a month or something like that. It's something like ridiculously cheap for what you get, you know, and courses and live weekly seminars with these with our faculty so you can interact in real time so yeah I'm just super I'm super pumped because of Steve's course basically and like Steve's course if you're an academy member you've probably checked it out and hopefully you were absolutely blown away we got a crazy crazy amount of cool feedback about it and and I think partly because of um the setup we used when we're over in New York and Steve brought in obviously brought himself but he brought in Kenny Grahowski as well who's one of the hottest drummers in New York like absolute monster player and 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 those guys just nailed it to the wall and obviously if you're an academy member you will have seen the course but if you haven't it's called progressive groove concepts with Steve and uh, and if you know if you're not a member yet just go over to the website scottsbassessons.com grab a 14 day free trial and, and and check out Steve's course but also check out and Steve's going to tell you about his course in this interview I'm sure um and then but check out all the other courses we add one every single month so there's like 26 courses now 27 courses um and and it's growing month and month month by month and uh, as we're trying to you know as I say trying to create that um essentially sort of like the 
the largest and most comprehensive base educational video library in the world, which we've got right now, but we, we're trying to grow that every single month as well. So anyway, I'm going to stop ranting on and being super excited about it. Um, I'll, I'm going to hand over to Nick and this week's guest, Steve Jenkins. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the SBL podcast. We're here with Steve Jenkins. Hey Steve, how's it going? Hey, what's happening? All good. We're just catching up with Steve because we've recently released a course in the Academy, which you shot with Scott back in February, um, which has the title Progressive Groove Concepts for the Modern Bass Player. That sounds pretty exciting to me. It covers a loads of really cool techniques that you've got under your belt, Steve. Um, we're going to talk a bit about that. But first of all, I wanted to catch up with you and find out how you've found life on the West Coast since moving over from New York. What's that I'm like? Yeah, the West Coast. Well, I'm still getting settled, you know, so I'm not, I think probably in a good year or so from now, I'd probably have more to say about it. But, um, you know, I've already had some cool gigs and I've done a few sessions here and there, but you know, it, it's going to take a while, I think, before I feel a hundred percent kind of settled in. I mean, there's a lot to cover as far as even friends of mine that live here that I haven't really seen yeah, yeah, it's been like five months. And then and I've gone out a couple times. Like I went to the East Coast in June to teach at Berkeley for a few days. And um yeah, it's just it's gonna take a while. And and I guess I've been trying to remember what it felt like when I moved to New York and and what what it was like five months in. And it was it's kind of the same, you know, it's sort of an uncomfortable feeling in a way, because you know, but I think the difference is like I've done, I've done things in that 12 years. So I, you know, folks kind of know who I am sort of. And then, you know, there's my friends out here that are musicians that know who I am. Um, so it's not like I'm coming out here, like starting over from like nothing, but to a certain extent it kind of is. And, and that's given me some time to sort of pause and figure out, well, what, what am I actually trying to do out here? Sure. Um, so, you know, and I'm the type of person that thinks a lot. So a lot of it is like processing the differences just in terms of how people look at music out here. It's much more, uh, I don't, like, I don't know all the ins and outs. It seems like people are less into pigeonholing folks, but there's still people that kind of have their specialties and stuff. Like, I don't think, like, nobody's going to bat an eye if you do one type of thing one week and then another Thing another type of week and i guess i guess new york really wasn't like that either but i think just because i'd been there for a while i felt very stuck and trapped in the world that i was in and i didn't see a lot of ways out you know and that's not the only reason why i was thinking about going to a different city um you know it's it but it's been great overall i think just there's a lot culturally you know and it's like they're not things that you can really prepare for until you're there. Cause I've come out here a bunch and I've driven around a bunch and I know how to get around as far as just how the, how the freeways work. And I know some tricks as far as like avoiding certain routes, but like living here and just the day to day and like how it works and the lifestyle and the way people conduct themselves. Like I'm still pretty gritty for a guy that lives out here. Um, and it's not like I'm impatient, but just, you know, I'm, you, I'm still, there's, basically 40 plus years like i'm 41 so there's that's how long i've lived on the east coast so it's all new and i guess if i had to sum it up it's like it's 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 great but it's not comfortable sure. but it's not bad either it's just you know 
surrendering to the fact that it's new and what have you. But that being said, I'm, I'm happy, you know, I'm, it's definitely a cool, cool place. And, you know, I'm into seeing, you know, I, I feel like now I see nothing but possibilities. And I think that's just cause it's new and, uh, you know, there's, there's, a lot of untapped things. Yeah, I you know, think it's but, a really interesting thing to do in terms of just seeing what happens, seeing what inspiration you get from a change of environment. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 strange because even something that's very obvious to people that live out here. But I think the last day I saw rain in in LA was maybe the day or the day after I had landed here, like from that long drive. Because right. during that time period, L.A. was getting ridiculous amounts of rain, the kind of rain that they're not really prepared for because there was like a couple – there was a couple images on the news. There was like this parking garage that was like overflowing with water. There were a couple sinkholes that opened up and a couple cars went underground. Like it was, it was ridiculous, but they're just not used to that kind of precipitation. Sure. So – but yeah, I can't remember the last time I saw rain, you know, it's been, <laughs> it's been months. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things like that, which are seem really basic, but I don't know. I guess I don't think about it a lot until I realize, oh, that's, that's weird. I haven't seen <laughs> this and that, you know, uh, but people are really nice out here. That's, that's the other thing. Like I'm, I'm constantly amazed by how kind people are just in day to day. Um, you know, uh, interactions, mm -hmm. but the space, having all this space is insane too. Um, right. I just moved into a new place and, um, cause I was subletting for a while when I, when I moved out there, like a buddy of mine needed a roommate in his house, um, for a couple months before he sold it. So I, I moved there, which was great because there was a studio in the backyard and, um, he's, there he's tight with another friend of mine, this bass player, Travis Carlton, um, who's Larry's kid, great bass player. They had a studio in the back. So there was like musicians coming through and it was sort of a good, good place to be. Um, but yeah, so I just moved into an apartment first time I've actually lived alone because New York was always, I always had roommates in New York. It just seemed to be a better way to go in terms of having a nicer place and, having a better location. Like when we shot that thing for iBase, mm -hmm. I was living in Harlem. I had a roommate at right. that point. And, um, that was actually the, one of the catalysts for me moving out here because he was dating this girl and I knew that they were getting serious. And I sort of told myself when I moved into that place, it's like, okay, this is the last apartment I'm going to live in in New York. I'm going to move after this. <clears throat> so, but yeah, so yeah, I have this, one bedroom that's just like it's two floors which is wow. insane that sounds great, yeah. <laughs> and it's not like it's not really that expensive like it's it's sort of you know mark what people pay for like a one bedroom around these parts um it's not like ridiculously fancy but it is really nice and just not really knowing what to do with all the space you know it's kind of like music it's like i have there's like you know all this space and I'm trying not to not I'm trying not to overdo it with stuff. You know, like I guess the best thing about living in New York is you become a minimalist. <laughs> so everything looks really well placed, but it's just cuz I don't have that much. Right. So so yeah, it's been it's been it's been interesting to kind of realize I don't have to live out of one room necessarily. So yeah, that it's like stuff like that, 
you know, there's like the career part of it, which is cool. But then there's the day to day part of, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's silly because it's nothing that I would ever think about except for the fact that it's a little bit different now. So yeah, it's, it's cool, but it, it's, it is strangely weird, you know? <laughs> well, let's get back to the course, um, yeah. which was came out a couple of weeks ago. What do you remember about the day you went in to record that? Well, basically Scott flew over with the SBO camera guys set up in the yeah. studio and had a bunch of cool players come on play. I think Damien Erskine was, was in right after you, right? He was before me. Oh, he's before um, you. Okay. So yeah, it was good to see him. He's a good buddy of mine. Um, we actually hung out a couple times since I moved out here. Um, cause, cause Peter lives in Santa Monica and I think he right. was in town to do some stuff. So we had lunch, but yeah, so Damien had been in the day before mm-hmm. it was actually really easy. Um, because what was I doing? Like I went up, I went up a couple days early and hung out in New York. Um, cause I hadn't been living there at that point. I was, right. I was staying with my mom in Maryland cause she had just had, uh, back surgery and it went well, but I was like kind of hanging with her just to make sure. sure she was cool before I moved. So yeah, I was in New York for a couple of days. It was cold. It was, you know, like the winter. Um, but basically, yeah, I mean, I had, I had never seen the studio where they did all the production, but I might, I'm friends with the people that own it and run it. Um, and so I, when Scott was reaching out about where to do this, I gave him their info. And so it worked out. So, their place is like very chill, you know, it's like a very relaxed atmosphere. It's not hard to sit there for a long time. Um, so yeah, it was pretty loose, you know, it was like very, I could tell those guys, I mean, I don't know how it felt for them at the end of the whole thing, but everybody they had coming in are good players, you know, and probably had their stuff down. So it was really for them, probably not, so difficult just to kind of like go through it all. Like, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how difficult people are off camera, but you know, I know Evan, he's really mellow. Rich is super mellow. Um, I would imagine Adam Neely's like really mellow. I haven't really met him, but we have a lot of mutual friends. So yeah, it was, it was not, you know, it was like super chill. It wasn't, it wasn't that hard, but yeah. So going in, um, I have, uh, so in People have seen it by now. Uh, Kenny Grohowski is this drummer, and Very we've done some work together. He's awesome. Yeah. He's, I would say, uh, that's one person I wish I had done a lot more playing with in New York, but we did quite a few things together, and, I, and I'm confident we'll do music in the future because we had done some stuff uh, like a year ago, basically. Like we played with Alex Skolnick when he was doing this joe satriani guitar camp thing and that trio kind of had a really interesting vibe and everybody was excited to maybe do some more music but you know everybody's busy with their own projects so we're trying to figure that out but kenny and i have done a bunch of other gigs too and so he i guess i felt like having having a drummer there would maybe give it like a different context as instead of playing with tracks and also because like we sort of we didn't really rehearse like we we had a coffee meeting at like this hotel in new york like the day before or maybe like two days before and we're just we've we've played enough together where it was just like all right so we're gonna do this we do that it's cool um how important is that relationship when you find a drummer who you know you you can just sit in with and be immediately comfortable i think it's the great i think it i think it's great when you kind of find that it's very trust 
oriented. Uh, like in his case, uh, he can play a lot of different, he can play a lot of different things and he can play a lot of things at once on the drums. And so I never really worry about, can he land that fill or not? If he's going to go for something, um, I, for some reason, he's just really, it's not hard for me to play with him. Like I, I feel like we listen to each other pretty well. There's a few drummers like that though. Um, like a couple weeks before that. Uh, lettuce was on tour and they were in dc and since i was kind of hanging out there uh deitch was doing this drum clinic and i went down and played with him and you know we're we're friends from like way back and we've we've done a fair amount of playing but we don't play constantly it's like whenever we can it's always nice and you know we played and it was like instant lockup there wasn't there wasn't any there wasn't like four bars of wait where are you putting this it was just like super instant. So I think that's the thing. It's like, there's a certain amount of confidence just when you know, whoever you call is it's going to work out. So, and you know, having him there made it really, really kind of, you know, I mean, he wasn't there for most of it. Like, I think there was a, he was there for like half the day, I think. And then the rest of it. Um, cause I kind of forget, I think we started with his stuff, like where yeah. he was playing and, but um, yeah, it was it was he was such a he's an easy guy to work with. Besides his playing abilities, like he's very uh, very easy to talk to, and and you know always has good suggestions and stuff. But yeah, that that was definitely I don't know, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Like if you know the guy, the the person on drums is gonna be awesome, or you know what you know you know that your lock is gonna be good with them, then there's very few things that can go wrong, you know, that would make it weird. Is there anything you can do if you don't know the drummer so well, if it's in a situation where you're thrown and you don't know who the drums are going to be just to try and establish that communication and that feel. I know you mentioned in the course that you use the hi hat as kind of your compass when you're listening out for certain things on the kit. Yeah. Well, there, cause the, the one thing that makes a lot of drummers unique, um, and there's, I guess there's like a whole spectrum of where, where things would get placed. You know, like if someone was going to listen to, say, like Charlie Watts from the Stones, like the hi-hat is a little bit ahead of the kick and the snare. I don't know like why this is, but that's sort of what makes what he does have a sound that, you know, it's awesome. Like that's the sound of the Rolling Stones. Like it's not I don't know if there's a real term to define what that is, but I think a lot of it with drummers is their placement, you know, um, so that's the thing. It's like, I think listening and airing on the side of playing less is one way to do it, you know, and just sort of like see, see how it breathes, you know, and there's like really smooth ways to do it where, you know, it's not like you're both going for things and someone's going to crash into the brick wall. But I think if it's me, like if, if I was in that situation, I try to just lay back a little bit and just see, you know, what, see where they line up with themselves first, you know, and it's usually pretty obvious. Like you can tell if someone gets excited and they might speed up for a minute. Like that's not really part of the equation that we're trying to assess, but it's more just like, well, what's it sound like just when, when it's happening, when it's in it, does it feel tense? Does it feel relaxed? Is it in the center of the beat? Is it super behind? Um, what does their sound sound like? Like I've done some stuff with Keith Carlock. He has a huge sound behind the drums. And I think the first time I played with him that it got me thinking about, 
you know, what, I don't know if my sound's going to be able to blend with the kick drum sound that he uses. So I have to figure it out. But, um, you know, there's always, there's always ways to do it, but I think the quickest thing to do is just to sort of like dial back whatever I'd say just like listening is, is usually the easiest way to do it. You know, um, I don't know. I think, I don't know if this is like something that everyone focuses on, but I know for me, because so much of what I like about music is rhythmic. Mm-hmm. Um, and since there's a lot of, a lot more like home recording going on and remote session work that I end up doing, um, I'm constantly looking at waveforms and you can see where people put things. You can, in relation to other things, you can see what, what placement is. And there's things that sort of don't logically make sense. Like, well, this person's a little bit ahead, but this person's behind. And it's sort of like this staggered thing, but it's sort of, you know, like it's staggered, then it lines up, then it's staggered, then it lines up. And I think even, even visually seeing it is a way to, um, to work on those types of things. So I talk about that particular thing a little bit. It's abstract because it isn't really based on, you know, you're not going to sit and practice scales. It's a listening thing. really. It's a listening thing. And then it's like trying to understand how to edit your ideas to fit something. If you have to adjust, I mean, ideally people just count in and they're there, but Sometimes, you know, some like people write complicated things now rhythmically, even, you know, some of the hip hop things where people got more into like stretching time and stuff. I mean, it's it's really become an interesting realm, I think. But I think the core of it comes down to just being able to hear how all the different if we're just going to judge the drums, then like listening to what the snare and the kick do in relation to the hi-hat, just where they place their own parts of the of the groove before any other thing enters into it i think that's that's pretty much one way to to sort of see how it goes you know with Um, this kind of um this kind of back phrasing and moving the the beat around it it can be quite an intimidating concept to try to get your head around if if you're not familiar with it yeah Um, how do you how can you um get better at that without when you're on your own, when you want to practice on your own without a drummer, is there anything you can do, do you think, just to try and get more comfortable with it? Yeah, well, I guess um, one thing that you can always do is you can take a phrase, let's say you have a groove idea, and let's say you're going to jam along to like a drum machine pattern or a loop or something. You can always figure out which part of the line to maybe lay back, like pull behind the beat. So you can start small. You can you can try to exaggerate one note. Usually there's like a quarter note triplet thing with some of that some of those types of ideas. Like it sort of pulls it out of it a little bit. Then you can just exaggerate it a tad. I mean, I, I can talk about this a little bit when I do that master class. I don't have any way to demonstrate it, but sure. in essence, what it is, you can take one part of a phrase and just try to play it a little bit further behind the beat. And um just kind of get used to doing that because what you're playing at is going to be the constant. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of a weird thing. And, and I guess the other part of all this is like listening to stuff where, um, you know, like the recordings that were sort of the catalyst for this type of playing 
Um, like, you know, everyone, everyone talks about Jay Dilla, you know, like, yeah. because he, he did these types of things where he would, he would like pull the bass behind the drums. Uh, that's a famous thing that people talk about with that voodoo record that D'Angelo did. Um, like they, they moved those tracks around. It wasn't that they tracked it like that, but that was a technique that Jay, Jay Dilla had been using for a while, you know? Um, so hearing that and kind of listening, I think listening to that just to get an idea of like how it works. I mean, there's, there's definitely points where it's just not, um, it's not musical anymore, but the way he does it, it's kind of this really, or the way he did it, because he's not with us anymore. That, that to me is like a really, um, it's a really interesting thing. And it just seems like a lot of musicians post D'Angelo Voodoo started to work on that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Here's why I think it's worthwhile to study, even though people's intent for using something like that might not be to make it sound exaggerated, but just let's say you're playing, let's say you're in a band and you're playing like Sir Duke, like the Stevie Wonder song. And let's say everybody's going to play that unison line, but let's say that like, it feels like everybody, like the horns, like all the melodic instruments are going to play that line. You can tell everyone's feeling like that line's coming up and they're going to lean forward a little bit. You can kind of be there as the bass player and just kind of like play it in the center of the beat. And that will kind of, people will, it's sort of like a way to reinforce where something's supposed to sit. So it doesn't mean you're going to pull it back like five minutes time-wise. It just means like you have the ability to to zero in on where it is and, and get it to uh, get it to sort of like sit in the center. I mean, I guess the other thing is like none of this should be used with the pursuit of making things perfect. Cause you know, then that's, that's really not fun. Like we're, we're in this strange era now where everything can be perfect. And so I think this is more about just, um, I, w- I would almost say this is almost a phrasing type of concept more so than just yeah. than like timekeeping. But, um, you absolutely need a constant to practice with to, to kind of go back to like how long practice. You need a constant that's going to sort of keep you in, it's going to keep itself in the place and you're the one that's going to adjust or whoever's practicing it is going to be the one that adjusts to it. But that's, that's sort of the incentive though. It's like, it gives you the ability to, to keep things sitting a, a certain way. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's strange. There's a lot of amazing studio people out here. And so you can kind of tell who makes a lot of records. Cause I've heard like, certain people play gigs and like the way they just sit behind the drum can, it's like, Oh, that guy definitely makes a lot of records because <laughs> there's just the way that they play. Whereas, yeah, whereas yeah. like someone that they might play a lot and they're awesome. Like, but you know, there's a lot more risk taking going on and they're It's, it's a very different thing. They're like two different mentalities, but yeah, I don't know. So that, that's like, that's like one thing that I try to give people a little bit of insight into yeah, you also touched on a couple of really cool things and to do with your slap technique mm-hmm. and how to introduce some kind of muted grooves and but articulate ideas cleanly and things like that. Can you tell yeah. us a bit about that? Yeah. Um, so slapping, that's always been something. It wasn't really a difficult technique for me to learn. The first bass teacher I had, got me into um 
I don't know. He just, he showed me proper technique. So it was really just about learning lines and, um, just spending time getting like the mechanics of how to make it sit in a groove work. But then because I think I learned, I mean, I don't know if there's like a right or wrong way, but I know the, the, the way that like my thumb is positioned, it was, it made it easy to explore different things people were doing in the early nineties. So in the early nineties, there was a point where slap bass was kind of a thing that people did. Then for a while, slap bass became like the most uncool thing yeah, I remember. you could do. Um, and, and I guess that was when I started to think about using those techniques in a different way where it's like, you know, you you start with your thumb and you use like the other fingers on the right hand and, there are people who are already starting to do things like that. Um, like, like on one hand you had people like Matt Garrison who was using like that sort of pseudo classical four finger technique. That was pretty cool. And then one of my mentors is this great bass player, Dave Dyson. He's got a really interesting muted technique. And then there was like Gary Willis who kind of had his thing. And I don't know that it came out of slapping, but you know, like the thumb and the other fingers were involved. So it just kind of became one of those things where it's like, well, I can kind of do similar things with my left hand where there's like little hammer ons here and there to create extra notes. And, um, I don't know. It just became something I played around with and I don't even really use it that much. Like that, those techniques are very much non-essential, you know, but because they're things that I have, like I just end up trying to practice stuff and just, just to see how musical I can get with it. But um, it was weird. Like when we were talking about slapping on that iBase interview, what I think there was also something that like I said, and because it was so early, I didn't give it a lot of context, but my favorite kind of slapping, not my favorite kind of playing necessarily, but my favorite kind of slapping is like the old school part oriented slapping. Like not so much like let's, let's play like a bunch of rhythms and, you know, go nuts. Like that stuff's fun, but it's, I'd rather listen to like a Prince bass line at the end of the day with all that. So yeah, those, those weird techniques though, that I kind of have experimented with and found some way to use sometimes that was just born out of kind of feeling like, well, I have all this other stuff I worked on and it's not the coolest thing right now, but maybe I can do something else with it. And, um, you know, they're all sort of hybrid guitar techniques also. Like I see a lot of guitar players when they're picking, like they'll, they'll use like the index and middle finger and it is really useful. Like even if I'm playing with two fingers and I'm going across the strings, I've definitely found ways to use that, which has made certain passages easier and stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's, there's definitely a, a whole component of that that was just born of well, this other thing's not cool, but let's see if I can do something else with it. <laughs> um, at this point, I don't, you know, I don't know where it stands, but it's it's just something that I can do. How so, important is your left hand when you're you're working on those? A lot of those right hand techniques you use seem quite mechanical in the way you you get them down. But yeah, what together with your left hand, they kind of just become something else. Yeah, the left hand is kind of the and like the X factor because it it's weaving in and out of what the right hand is doing. And it's also making it, it's also kind of being the sole thing a lot of times that 
is making the notes have certain types of articulation. Like it's deciding how long or how short the note lengths are actually going to be. Um, so I feel like in a way it's muting as much as the right hand might be. Cause like the palm might be hitting the strings, but the left hand is kind of coming up and down, mm-hmm. you know, like it's coming up to make the notes short. It, they definitely have, they're definitely almost equally of equal importance. I would say, um, just in terms of, of how some of those things are constructed. So yeah, it's, it's, it's like really important. I would say. Have you ever played drums, Steve? Uh, I mess around with drums. You do, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not like a great drummer just because uh, I try to go for things I can't physically play because I don't have any <laughs> real technique. But if someone like if if someone was like, "Hey, we need a drummer just to play like some some simple grooves," like I could totally hold it down and probably do an alright job. Do you think that helps your bass playing? Uh, I think. Being drummer, yeah, I think I think playing drums helps my bass playing. I think being drummer aware also does. Like I'm a fan of drums, so I'm constantly listening to drummers and guitar players a lot. And I think that just as a being a fan of those instruments is sort of like seeped into the types of things I like to include in my bass playing. But yeah, I, I think drums. You know, I think just being able to play drums and even if you're just trying to realize an idea, even if it's not something you can execute as, as a drummer would, it's definitely helped my bass playing, you know, just, just to sit there. And I mean, I I work on programming stuff all the time, you know, like, uh, like that I did a track on my last record called sphere that all those drums are programmed. Like everyone thought I had like Thomas Pridgen come over and play that, but no, that's all like all programmed. So I think, you know, being a fan of like music with lots of beats helps also. So, yeah, I I would say drums probably like my bigger, my biggest uh, influence as far as like bass playing goes and stuff. But I also really like guitar players. So I think that's that's kind of how I ended up as a bass player anyway, because it was like I liked those two instruments so much without even realizing it when I decided to play bass, I think that's why it ended up suiting my interest pretty well. Um, yeah. So I don't know, but I would say also like anytime someone plays an instrument, like let's say even if like it wasn't a bass player, like if someone's principal instrument was like a saxophone, I think playing any other instrument where you can retain and I retain a feeling where you're a student where you kind of have, you can kind of give yourself permission to sound bad because it's not your principal instrument. I think, I think I read about this in, in uh, Kenny Werner's book. Like he wrote this thing called effortless mastery and I never did any of the meditations and stuff. Cause I just, that's not really what I do, but like there's a lot of really interesting, insightful things. And that was the one thing that stuck with me. It's like, if you can give yourself the freedom to sound bad, it gives you a ton of freedom and it gives you room to grow. But you know, that's the thing, like with any, any type of situation where you're doing something and you're putting a lot of time and effort into sounding, sounding as great as you can. And then you start getting feedback and you're like, Oh, you sound great. Then the next time you have to play, there might be pressure to sound great. And I think being able to like, just mess around on some other instrument where it doesn't matter that will give someone way more insight 
and ground them so when they play their principal instrument, hopefully it's they have enough abandon to want to try something and uh, not feel bound to the last time they played, which may have been great, you know? So that's, it, it can help in that way too. Like there's a musical reason, but there's also a psychological reason to like mess around with drums and, or, you know, anything really that's not, that's not your uh, pr- primary thing. Oh yeah, man. I couldn't agree more. Um, Steve, we're going to have to wrap things up, but thanks again for hanging out with us today, man. Um, yeah, no worries. Guys, thanks go check having- out the course. It's in the Academy right now. It's awesome. And Steve, you're going to be back doing a masterclass soon, right? Yeah, uh, the 20, uh, let me see. I should know this, man. Let me check my, <laughs> it's a month away. Uh, I think the 25th. 25th? The 25th. Yeah, it's a Monday. All right, guys. Don't miss that. Don't forget, check out the course, Progressive Groove Concepts for the Modern Bass Player. Um, Steve, what else have you got coming out right now we need to keep an eye out for? Um. That's pretty much it, man. I'm going on vacation for a couple of weeks. And then I, when I come back to LA, I mean, I'm, I am kind of working on some new music while I'm getting, you know, integrated into this scene out here. Yeah. But there's not really a date set. I'm just, you know, and since I have some free time, I'm writing some music and, you know, I don't know when that's going to be ready, but, you know, trying to stay busy and work on a few things. So, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, um, yeah, cool. we'll, we'll keep our eyes peeled. All right. Have a great vacation, Steve. Thanks, Nick. Later, man. Cool. Okay, guys. Thanks a lot for listening this week. And a huge shout out to not only Steve, obviously, for coming and hanging out with Nick, but obviously to you guys as well, because you are the ones that make this thing happen. And this is the reason why we we do these weekly podcasts, essentially, you know, to uh, to hang out with you in your earbuds wherever you are each each and every week so whether you're in the gym whether you're in the car on the way to work on a jog do they call it jogging on a run <laughs> who knows i need to do some running i tell you what i need to do some running man i'm about to hit 40 i need to get fit <laughs> anyway guys i'll see you next week as always take it easy and i'll see you in the shed <laughs>